I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. In an unprecedented and scathing report on Wednesday, a UN committee not only demanded that the Vatican immediately remove all clergy who are known or suspected child abusers and turn them over to civil authorities, it severely criticised the Holy See for its attitudes towards homosexuality, contraception and abortion. The committee said the Holy See should hand over its archives on sexual abuse of tens of thousands of children so that culprits as well as those who concealed their crimes could be held accountable and it also demanded further investigation of the Magdalene laundries here. In the United Kingdom, Robert Halfon, a Conservative MP, called on the UK Independence Party leader Nigel Farage to sack UKIP MEP Gerard Batten after it emerged that he had helped to write a Charter of Muslim Understanding. The document calls on Muslims to sign a declaration rejecting violence and accepting the need to modify the Koran. Halfon, who's Jewish and has spoken out repeatedly against Islamic extremism, told the Guardian newspaper he considered Batten's views unbelievably sinister and frightening. And at home here in Ireland on Tuesday, the Presbyterian Church elected the Reverend Michael Barry, Minister of Sandy Street Presbyterian Church in Newry, as its next moderator. Jerry McArdle rang him to offer congratulations from the Godslot. Well, thanks, Jerry. I appreciate the uh, sentiments. We've had quite a number of messages. Uh, they've all been very helpful and encouraging. Michael, what exactly does a moderator of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland do? Well, there are a number of answers to that. A very simple answer is that he chairs the meetings of the General Assembly. And uh, historically, that would have been almost the role that he played. Now he uh, takes on the role as being a kind of spokesperson for the church. And I'll be visiting congregations and presbyteries around Ireland. Um, I'll be attending overseas functions uh, with other churches and uh, representing the church, trying to bring encouragement uh, to the people who are on the, working on the ground and uh, helping them to feel part of the church, but also, if, if possible, to encourage them to keep going in sometimes very difficult situations. Well, of course, one of the challenges you're going to have to face is that sectarian tensions seem to be on the rise again. Am I right, and, and how will you deal with it? The church... I believe, has an important role to speak into those situations. One of the things as Christians we believe is that we are to respect uh, other people, regardless of their background or their colour or their creed. We believe that the Bible teaches that we are to put the needs of other people before ourselves or to treat people with respect and care. And, And so we want to say that. We want to say to the politicians that they have a role to play It's not an easy one, Uh, and the responsibility is to try and bring the communities to a point where they are accepting of another tradition which they fundamentally disagree with, but that they would allow them to carry on their life and their traditions without interfering with them. Sometimes we have seen a few steps forward and then three or four steps back. Um, We had the Haas talks recently. And while I don't think it's the church's role to say how we should move forward or which particular uh, solution there should be to the flags or to dealing with the past, 
we want to say to the politicians, you know, get on with the work and, and lead us forward. Do the voices of the churches carry any weight in Northern Ireland today? I think that we're living in a secular age and it's becoming increasingly secular. And there are fewer and fewer people listening to the church, but we still believe we have a message of the gospel to proclaim and, and we want to speak that into each of these different situations. But you know the, the debates we've been having in this part of the island, for example, we've, we've legislated now for abortion, albeit very limited, but a thing that nobody thought would happen. We're now discussing legalising same-sex marriage. How do you feel about those things? Well, again, those are issues um, that the church has a, a view on. Um, for example, we believe that life is sacred and needs to be protected, and so we want to um, speak into those situations where the life of the mother uh, will be taken into consideration as well as the life of the unborn baby. With regard to same-sex marriages, we believe in the um, importance of marriage, but again, we have taken the view that marriage is between one man and one woman, and so we would want to be promoting that traditional view of marriage. And, and so we want to speak into these debates. Just for what you said there about same-sex marriage, I'm sure you're aware of, of um, recent debates on television and in the media. Uh, you are aware that you would be labelled homophobic for saying what you just said? Well, I think that that's one of the dif difficulties <coughs> that um, sometimes we are not allowed to express our beliefs. Can I say, first of all, that um, I am against all forms of homophobia. Uh, absolutely condemn that outright without any reservation at all. But that should not preclude us from being able to express our beliefs. But again, as I said earlier, we want to, re to respect other people. We need to show them care and consideration so that we do not attack people because they come from another country or become because they have a particular sexual orientation. Homosexual people see same-sex marriage as a human right, and they would see you as advocating the denial of that human right by what you're saying. Well, we would believe that marriage has been instituted by God. Uh, society did not invent marriage, and we don't have a right to tamper with it. Um, so, again, we go back to our traditional beliefs, that marriage has been given to us as a gift by God and uh, that it is between one man and one woman. Reverend Michael Barry, the new moderator-elect of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, talking to Jerry McArdle. Mental health was once a taboo area where people with mental illness were shut away in hospitals and institutions and were viewed with fear and incomprehension by the general public. Thankfully, things are changing and most people affected by this illness now live productive and fulfilling lives among their families and communities. The focus now is on the recovery model and Recovery International Ireland is very much to the fore in this peer support method of helping bring peace with in and without to sufferers. Dermot Grennan is the chair of the management committee and he joins us now. Dermot, peer support, can you just take us through that and explain the concept? The organisation was started originally in 1937 by a psychiatrist called Dr Abraham Lowe. It was part of a research project at the University of Illinois Medical School. 
But at that time, there was no treatment really for patients apart from ECT. And what he observed was that it was like a revolving door. They were released from the hospital and then very quickly they were back in again. So he wanted to develop some method whereby uh, he thought he could get them to help themselves to have longer periods of being in functioning and being well and shorter periods in hospital. So in the space of about 14 years, he developed the four-step recovery method. So what are the four steps? Well, basically, uh, it's about working out an example we have meetings every week uh, and at the, each meeting uh, any four people can give an event in their lives where they had difficulty in coping. A stressful event, a stre- uh, an event which is still under their minds. It might be an argument with the wife or the doc- doctor or the uh, boss or something coming home in the car or on the bike. The first step is do- describing uh, the situation. I was cycling home on the bike uh, the second part of it would be um, the inner reaction. I got annoyed, someone cut in on top of me. And you described your physical and mental symptoms at that stage. And then the third stage is where you apply some of the techniques you've learned at the recovery meeting to that particular event. And and those uh, concepts are designed to calm you down. And then in the fourth step, uh, you say what the difference was between what happened at that particular situation and what would have happened in before you joined recovery. So the other members of the group will then help you to apply the recovery concepts to that particular event. And, and this is, if you like, the crucial thing in mental health, is to help people to get, as we say, peace within and peace without. Now, this works in tandem with medical treatment. I mean, I note that some of your members, they say, I got a leaflet when I was leaving John of God's, I got a leaflet when I was leaving St. Pat's. Yes. So the medics encourage this. They do indeed, because um, it makes their job easier. First of all, it means they don't have to see their individual patients as often and and secondly the other rule in recovery is that people are required always to follow whatever professional program they've been given by their mental health professional whether it's medication or whether it's behaviours or different things they've been told to do. Now that's the central thing so uh, it's if you like Dr Lowe described it as an adjunct to professional care. How did you get involved? I got involved through my, my late wife Nora after our second child, uh, she had a breakdown and I had no idea of mental health at that stage, but she became mentally ill and uh, she was taken into the hospital and then she was treated. And um, we had uh, another little member of the family then arrived about three years later, Grace, and Nora got sick immediately after that and uh, she went directly to the psychiatric hospital. So after that then, we started looking around for some support after she left the hospital, something where she could go and perhaps, uh, you know, discover or achieve uh, help and ability, particularly in integrating in society when when they come out of hospital. That's one of the hard things. Some of them feel in no man's land. So we came up with an organisation called Recovery. I went along to the meetings initially, but uh, I didn't really think it had anything much to do with me. And I got a grasp of the system fairly quickly. It's not difficult to get an intellectual grasp. But um, after about a year and a half in the uh, going along, we used to go down to the meeting and we'd ha- attend the meeting and have a bit of a laugh. And then we'd go down, some of the group would go down for a couple of drinks afterwards. That was kind of the routine. 
But um, I got panic attacks then about exams I was doing at that time. And um, I found that what I was hearing at the meeting and what I was reading in Dr Lowe's book was applicable to my situation. And I tried out the method and it seemed to work. So I actually then extended my remit. I noticed that I was very aggressive at home with the children and very impatient. So this was contrary to what I was hearing at the meeting. So I started to try and apply the, the system in my own life as a kind of a, a lifestyle, uh, life uh, system for, for coping with life's situations. And um, I found uh, also at work dealing with the boss... I used to have a kind of anger issues surrounding that as well. Uh, I always had quite a low opinion of the boss and all this sort of thing. I think. You wouldn't be the only I one, know I'm that, sure, yeah. in many situations. <laughs> yeah, so I, I found that uh, the system I was hearing at the meeting and that I had tried out on the panic attacks worked in that particular situation as well. So I found it, it was almost magic that I, I, it transformed me in many ways. And uh, I, I found it was very, very helpful um, and I wanted to be, uh, to pay back. And uh, so I decided, if you like, to, I grew up in Drumcondra to try and bring the system to my own people, as it were. And so I started a group myself then in um, 1980. And that's been going since. Very good. Now, I noticed that Dr. Abraham Lowe t- says there are, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Yeah, there are difficult but no co- hopeless cases. And hope uh, is a big thing. Now, there's a lot of research at the moment, too, that says people who have faith, people of religion, they recover better from mental health problems, from physical health yes, problems, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read quite an interesting article recently. Is there a religious aspect to this recovery? Well, recovery's official policy really is that uh, we don't discuss religion. The guy who brought recovery to Ireland, his name was Jerry Burgess. He was the head man at that time in recovery. So I used to meet him for a pint now and again, and I'd be asking him then about uh, religion and psychology and the link up between spirituality. And and, uh, he directed me to St. Francis de Sales in some of his writings. And also uh, he he said of the large similarities between... um, what uh, St. Francis de Sales wrote in his... He was one of the first people to write spiritual books for for lay people, Uh, what he said in the books, because uh, Dr. Lowe says uh, about people with mental health issues, faulty attitudes and beliefs. And uh, St. Francis de Sales says attitudes are of the spirit. And uh, the other slogan Dr. Lowe would have had, he he would say that if my patients had no impatience, I would have no patience. Mm Whereas in uh, Francis de Sales, there's a big emphasis on patience. Not patience just with other people, but patience with yourself. So that's the key. Uh, <laughs> and where can people find out more? Um, our office is in Ballyfermot in Cherry Orchard Hospital, room 85, Bridge House, Cherry Orchard, Ballyfermot, Dublin 10. 626 is the um, telephone number. 01. And is there a website? Uh, there is a website. Um, it's www.recovery-inc-ireland.ie Very good. And we'll put all those details on our website as well. Yeah. Dermot, thank you very much for joining us on you're, The Godslot. You're very welcome. Thank you. Renewal of Faith 
the new evangelization, making all things new. These are phrases very much on the lips of Christians nowadays. So a creative programme of spiritual renewal specifically designed for the Irish people is bound to be of interest to regular listeners. Such a programme is Crean Nua, and to tell us about it, we're joined by one of the co-authors of the programme, Hilary Musgrave. Hilary, you're welcome to The Godslot. Tell us a bit about your own background. Oh, thank you, Eileen. Um, I've been working as a primary school uh, teacher and principal most of my life, and I retired about 10 years ago and uh, did a master's in Boston College. And when I came home, I could see all around the country that there was um, a need for spirituality. So I began to work there, and that's my work up to the present day. Now tell us a bit about the programme, Cree Nua, the Irish for New Heart. How did it come about? Well, I I work with a woman called Monica Brown from Australia. And as we worked around the country here in Ireland, we could see that many people were hungering for some kind of spirituality in their lives and turning away from church. And um, we could see, too, that a lot of people in the towns had opportunity for faith formation and uh, to join groups. So we decided that to make something available for people who couldn't um, have formation in a college or that, or attend courses, that we would write this program for them and they could do it in their local communities uh, of about 10 people that would gather for this program. Now you've lined up some heavyweights like Mark Patrick Hederman and others. What makes it different from other spirituality programmes? Well, it's been designed uh, for the for the Irish people, and all of the writers are Irish writers except Margaret Silf, and Margaret is a wonderful writer in the Celtic tradition. So it has been designed with the people in Ireland in mind. We're not bringing in a program from America or from the UK uh, where it has to be modified and changed and where the language doesn't um, agree with the people. This one um, draws on the Irish tradition, Celtic spirituality. It offers um, a look at modern theology. We have Daniel O'Leary doing that. And then we have reflections by uh, lots of men and women who who contributed to the programme. So the the Irish people and the people doing it have a lot of readings on which to draw and give them information and challenge them and um, excite them too, I think. So how does it work? Well, people come together for a period of eight sessions and what they do is they get the readings before they come to the group meetings and they, they read them at their own leisure and in their own time and they reflect on them. And then when they come to the meeting, they, the facilitator of the meeting will introduce the team and help people to discuss what what they found helpful in the readings, what they found exciting, what um, challenged them, what gave them life and inspiration and so on. So it's not that they come to the meeting to do the reading, but they share the reflections on the meeting at the group. And then to conclude, um, they have a prayer ritual. And we find that prayer is very important, where it gives people time to absorb what they've heard from others and then time also to ritualize what they have come to understand about God. Maybe it's something new, maybe it's something that's gone deeper in them, or maybe it's something that has been reinforced. 
Now, some of the themes that are addressed are seasons of life, God who journeys with us, the grace of suffering, the healing journey, themes like that. Um, are they working? Are they bringing people closer to God? What are people saying yes, about it? We, we've had wonderful feedback from the programme. It's operating in about 150 groups all around the country. And um, last week I had a phone call from an 84-year-old woman who was just saying that it has brought her such life and energy. And other people have written to us to say that that they have been comforted in their suffering, in their pain, that they've been helped to work through things, that they have been reconciled with people in their families. And um, more so, it's bringing them a sense of peace, an understanding, a way forward, a different, um, like a transformation, whereas they, they can see things about their life in a different way with God's, with God's view. Now, there's a, a Cree Nua kit. Who's that aimed at? Is that aimed at the facilitators or is that aimed at everybody? It's aimed, um, it's aimed at the facilitator. Everything there is written for the facilitator. And some people would say that it's overprescribed. But we wanted to help people who were interested in taking this on but, but needed just the support of knowing where they were going every minute in the gathering. What we have in the kit also is a CD with all the readings on it. To publish the readings would have been very expensive. So they're on CD and they can be emailed to those who are participating in the in the group. And the facilitator would be responsible for sending the readings to the different uh, to the different members uh, before the gathering each each week. And in, in your experience, who are the facilitators? Are they priests? Are they pastoral ministers? Are they members of the public in general? Yes. Um, really, it's people who have a heart for this kind of thing, who are interested in it. And um, a lot of people have taken this on and said, well, I'll give it a shot. Um, I've never tried it before. And, and they have found that the, the, the booklet, the kit is very, very helpful and directs them and supports them in what they need to do and what they need to say. Say, for example, if somebody talks on a bit much, um, they know how to break up the time and how much time they have reached section. So it, it's uh, it's for anybody who is interested. Now many um, uh, well-versed facilitators have used it with groups in, in different areas and they would say that the notes aren't helpful because they have a way of doing it themselves and that's fine. But um, it, it's for people, people in uh, areas where who are interested in coming together to share something about their faith and the rich traditions that we have in our faith. And uh, is there a fixed time on it? Is it a, a programme with a fixed time or does it go on and on? It, it can go on and on. And um, some groups, um, when they have done it, they, they want to do it again. Uh, some groups will say that, that we have a, a shortened form of the readings and a longer form of the readings. And some groups do the shortened form and then they do it all again with the longer form of the readings. And they f find that helpful. But it can be done at any time of the year. And the group decide whether they want to meet uh, once a week, once a, once a month and so on. Um, but it's entirely up to the group to to do this programme and to work it in a way that is most advantageous and suitable to them. Well, it's called Cree Nua. Where can listeners find out more information, Hillary? Um, they can contact us at our office 
Emmaus Productions um, and they're three main street in Tremor in County Waterford and the website is www.emmausproductions.com and it can be ordered from there. Okay, Hilary, we'll put those details on our website in due course. Hilary Musgrave, thank you very much. Thank you, Eileen. And that's our programme for this week on Sunday night on RTE1 television at Clada from Manuela. Part of our Would You Believe series tells the moving story of Manuela Riedo, the 17-year-old who was raped and murdered while on an exchange visit to Galway in 2007. Our phone number is 01 208 2039. The email address is godslot at rte.ie and our postal address is the godslot RTE Radio 1 Dublin 4. Until next Friday evening at the same time, Gugudi Jiyashif. Because I gotta have faith. Mm, I gotta have faith.